It was weird, said Hiccup. I sort of sensed it when we were running down the tunnel. I couldn't see anything, but as we were passing, I, I just knew that there was a dragon there and that it was meant to be my dragon. I was going to ignore it, actually, because we were in a bit of a hurry, but then you said about not having a dragon, and I went back, and there it was, lying on this shelf in the tunnel, just as I'd imagined it would be. With trembling fingers, Hiccup undid the latch, took off the lid of the basket, and peered in. There, curled up fast asleep in the bottom of the basket in a tangled dragon knot, lay perhaps the most common or garden common or garden dragon Hiccup had ever seen. Absolutely the only extraordinary thing about this dragon was how extraordinarily small it was. In this, it was truly extraordinary. Well, a uh, happy Lunar New Year to everyone. Welcome to Zoo Notable. We're entering the year of the dragon. So when planning this Zoo Notable for the occasion, I knew immediately what book I wanted to share with all of you. It's one of my favorite book series to listen to, thanks to the incredible voice talent of David Tennant. And the movie adaptation is my favorite DreamWorks animated movie. I'm talking about How to Train Your Dragon by Hiccup Horrendous Haddock III, translated by, from Old Norse by Cressida Cowell. Now, I first read this book a very, very long time ago, actually just before the original movie came out, as I was excited to experience this type of story. I mean, the title was called How to Train Your Dragon. This is an animal trainer's dream, right? So I got a copy of the audiobook and I was immediately enthralled by the comparisons to early animal training using negative reinforcement and punishment methods and then the modern uh, use today using positive training, positive reinforcement training from animal care specialists today. Now, if you're hearing my description of the book, you'll notice that the movie is very, very different from the books. And we're gonna discuss that further in one of the big ideas, but suffi suffice to say, if you've only seen the movies, but haven't read the books, you're missing out on a whole other story conveyed I recommend checking out the audiobooks because, seriously, David Tennant reading them is a treat for the ears to say the least. But beyond the entertainment value of the book series, the first book has some very special and poignant ideas. So I decided let's kick off Lunar New Year, the New Year of the Dragon, by diving into Cressida Cowell's book that kicked off the whole franchise, How to Train Your Dragon, by Hiccup Horrendous Haddock III. And we'll start with big idea number one, becoming a hero usually isn't easy. Quote, the point is, I just don't see how I'm ever going to become a hero, said Hiccup gloomily. I am the least heroic boy in the whole hooligan tribe. Oh, pshaw, this ridiculous tribe fumed old wrinkly. Okay, so you're not what we call a born hero. You're not big and tough and charismatic like Snotlout, but you are just going to have to work at it. You're going to have to learn how to be a hero the hard way. That's right. The hard way to becoming a hero. You know, becoming a hero isn't as glamorous as many movies and media make it sound like. Most of us aren't born with Superman's strength, speed, and powers. We don't have billions of dollars like Bruce Wayne or Tony Stark. 
Now, not that these heroes had it easy, mind you, but the idea of becoming heroes isn't usually the same as what it take, usually takes to become heroes. It takes grit, determination, and perseverance. You must be willing to put in the hours, the practice, and the commitment. You have to practice the skills necessary every single day. First, I think you must understand what a hero actually is. The ancient Greeks came up with the word hero, but it didn't mean vanquisher of villains or big, strong, brave guy. No, the hero, word hero means protector. A hero has strength for two. So the path to becoming a hero is twofold. You must care about those you are protecting, but in order to do that, you must also take care of yourself. Yes, heroes are brave. Many times they do indeed vanquish villains, but the path of becoming a hero isn't always easy or fun. Sometimes you have to face monstrous dragons to do things that even when it terrifies you and to speak up when the easiest thing to do is just shut up. It's not easy being a hero, but when you feel called to action, there is no other choice for us. We answer the call. We garner that strength for two. A big idea number two, being brave doesn't mean you are fearless. Quote, I haven't got a dragon, panted Fishlegs, a couple paces behind Hiccup. Oh, for Thor's sake, snapped Hiccup. He thrust his basket into fish, Fishlegs' arms and grabbed the empty one from Fishlegs' back. Have mine then, wait here. And Hiccup turned and went back through the narrow bit even though the roaring was getting louder and closer by the second. Hiccup came back to the hole again precious moments later. Fishlegs grabbed hold of an arm and helped him haul through. So uh, that is a scene right before we meet Hiccup's dragon, that extraordinarily small, the most common or garden, common or garden dragon he's ever seen. Um, but that is... Uh, that's how he actually gets toothless. Uh, Hiccup does these heroic actions from the beginning of the book, but he doesn't even recognize himself as heroic. Because unlike most of the other boys in his initiation group, Hiccup has learned a lot about dragons. And what he has learned about dragons is downright scary to him, especially knowing that he's going to have to go into a cave with thousands of them. And this is how... Uh, how Hiccup says it in Crescenda's uh, ad adaptation. Although he wasn't your usual mindless thug of a hooligan, Hiccup wasn't a wimp either. Being frightened is not the same as being a coward. Maybe he was as brave as anyone else there because he went to catch a dragon despite knowing what dragons are like. And when he had climbed perilously into the mouth of the cave and found that inside there was a long, twisty tunnel, he still went down it, despite not being too keen on long, twisty tunnels with dragons at the end of them. So, yes, doing things that scare us is the definition of bravery. Snotlout, Hiccup's rival in the group, goes into the cavern without question or concern. He doesn't have any fear, but that doesn't necessarily make him brave. He doesn't know what's in store. A Hiccup knows what is in store and does it despite being scared. What's more, he helps his only friend Fishlegs obtain a dragon so he won't be exiled for not getting one himself. He then goes back into the cavern of dragons that are waking up and getting angry. 
He does this because Hiccup cares about his friend and he is called to action. He is frightened, but he does it anyways. So what is frightening to you? I mean, for me, it's submitting my book to agents and publishers. It's sometimes sharing these zoo notables, thinking, will anyone like what I'm sharing? I'm also often scared that I'm not making a difference at work with my colleagues or with ZooFit or with my conservation efforts. But keep in mind, I cannot get my book published at all if I don't try. And I may not be reaching tons or millions of people, but I enjoy doing these zoo notables. And maybe I'm not changing the world either with ZooFit or my conservation efforts, but those small things really do matter. I may feel frightened, but being brave doesn't mean I don't experience fear. It means I face that fear and I find a way forward anyways. So what are some ways that you can face your fears, be brave, and keep on going? Moving on to big idea number three, how to train dragons. Quote, How to Train Your Dragon by Professor Yabish, winner of the Best Book for Barbarians Gold Award. On the back cover, how would you train a dragon? Look inside for all the answers in Professor Yabish's hugely entertaining and informative book. Follow this simple advice and you will soon be on your way to becoming the hero you've always wanted to be. About the author, Professor Yabish has spent Many years in the wild observing dragons in their natural habitat. This book is a culmination of his research and is the definitive textbook on the subject of these fascinating creatures. He is also the author of Looking After Your Killer Whale. How to Train Your Dragon, Chapter the First and Last. The golden rule of dragon training is yell at it. The louder, the better. The end. Oh man, I laugh out loud every time I read this book and get to the part where Hiccup reads the titular book, How to Train Your Dragon. I also have to admit, I like there's that slight nod to SeaWorld and Marine Life Parks in the book because Professor Yabish is also the author of Looking After Your Killer Whale. It's clever because before dolphins and orcas came into human care, the standard for training animals utilized a lot a negative reinforcement and punishment, aka yelling, to motivate the animals into behaving the way we wanted them to. If your zebra won't come in, take a pushboard and force them inside. The birds need to visit the vet, just net them. There are also more brutal ways to working with many animals, which I won't discuss in detail here. But then dolphins and orcas came into human care. And there might have been a moment when the first trainers tried the same methods on them as many did before with zebras, birds, and elephants. It just didn't work. Why? That's because the dolphins didn't like the response the trainers gave them. They could just sink down under the water and swim away. So it didn't take long for the trainers to have empathy like Hiccup in How to Train Your Dragon. It goes, okay, fish legs, Hiccup said, unless you're any better at yelling than I am, we're on our own. We're going to have to work out our own method of dragon training. Hiccup was pr still pretty certain, knowing dragons as he did, that yelling was the easiest method of training them. So over the next couple weeks, he tried yelling at Toothless to see if he could make it work. He tried yelling loudly, firmly, strictly. He looked as cross as he could, but Toothless wouldn't take him seriously. 
Okay then, said Hiccup, I'm going to try the other extreme. So he was as nice to Toothless as he possibly could be. He made that dragon's life as close to dragon heaven as he possibly could. Now maybe Drawful Trainers didn't go quite to that extreme, but they did try that method and the results were mind-blowing. They were able to develop a trusting, respectful relationship with their animals. And the more trust there was between trainer and animal, the more amazing behaviors they could do. Swim behaviors, husbandry behaviors, and those more incredible acrobatics. When they switched to positive reinforcement and stopped quote-unquote yelling at their dragons, they got more than they could possibly imagine. Which brings us to big idea number four, the positives of positive reinforcement. Quote, Toothless, said Hiccup, if you catch me a nice big mackerel, you will be the cleverest, fastest dragon on Burke, and you'll make that fireworm dragon look like an idiot, and you will have all the lobsters you can eat when we get home, and I will tell you a really good joke. Okay, then, said Toothless. It was a very, very old joke, but apparently it hadn't made it to Wild Dragon Cliff. Toothless thought it was hysterically funny. He flew off to catch more fish so that he could hear more jokes. It was an enjoyable afternoon. The rain stopped, the sun shone, and Toothless didn't do too badly at all with the hunting. He dropped a few fish and at one point wandered off entirely to catch rabbits off the clifftops. But he came back when Hiccup called eventually, and by the end of a couple hours he had caught six medium-sized mackerel and a dogfish. So one of the biggest arguments against a positive reinforcement is that you have to reinforce the behavior all the time. This is only somewhat true. You do have to reinforce, but usually the, in the beginning, it's the bigger amount. But as it becomes easier and easier for the learner, in this case the animal, the less reinforcement you actually need. So while Hiccup at first promises all the rewards he can think of for Toothless, the more fish Toothless brings, the less Hiccup actually has to do for each fish. Toothless is essentially catching more fish just to hear more jokes. He's already earned the lobster dinner and the flattery from Hiccup. On the opposite side, for just those wondering, when you use punishment, you have to escalate your punisher as the animal becomes desensitized to it. So you have to yell louder, you have to yell more often and use harsher language. And at some point, even yelling won't motivate the animal anymore, which is what happens when the Vikings and the dragons come across the sea dragonus giganticus maximus. I had to check those notes there. When the Vikings don't frighten the monstrous sea dragon away, the Vikings dragons actually just desert their masters. Yelling doesn't motivate them and they just fly away. Such is their nature, as even Toothless describes. The thing about us dragons, said Toothless, is that we're survivors. We're not like those sasapi cats or dumb dogs falling in love with their masters and yucky things like that. The only reason we ever do what man wants is because he's bigger than us and gives us food. Only that that description of dragons isn't what happens with Toothless. So when that sea dragonus Giganticus Maximus shows up, all the other dragons desert their Viking masters. 
but Toothless doesn't desert Hiccup in his greatest hour of need. Hiccup faces that sea dragon on his own, and he almost wins, but then something terrible happens. The other dragons flee for their lives, but Toothless does not. Quote, Toothless was about to use this opportunity of Stoic's obvious distraction to sneak off to a place of safety when something stopped him. Nobody knows what that something was. It was a moment which changed the whole worldview of the hooligan tribe. For centuries, we have believed that it is impossible for dragons to consider a selfless thought or a generous action. But what Toothless did next is impossible to explain as being his own best interest at the time. Something kept Toothless from flying after the other deserting dragons. Maybe somewhere in that self-centered green dragon heart of his, he was really was fond of Hiccup and grateful for the hours he had spent looking after him, not shouting at him, telling him jokes, and giving him the biggest and juiciest lobsters. Dragons are selfish, argued Toothless to himself. Dragons are heartless and have no mercy. That's what... makes us survivors. Nonetheless, something made him turn around and something made him fold his wings back and fly like a dragon blur to the great monster on the cliff tops, which really was not in Toothless' best interest. So in the end, both Toothless and Hiccup come out of the experience as heroes. And I honestly... Reading through this book, it wouldn't have been possible without that positive reinforcement, without that trusting relationship that Hiccup built based on respect for his dragon. And this is how animal trainers work with their critters today, using positive reinforcement. The results are literally no less astonishing and beautiful than a dragon coming to save the day. And I also have a further question for you. If positive reinforcement can work miracles on dragons and modern zoo animals, what do you think it can do for you and your life? Can we start using it to promote a better way for developing healthy habits or self-care practices? Or maybe we can just use it to make life a little more enjoyable. And finally, for our really pretty short New year, a new lunar year, year of the dragon. Big idea number five, the message from the movie. Quote, this is Burke. It's 12 days north of hopeless and a few degrees south of freezing to death. It's located solidly in the meridian of misery. My village, in a word, sturdy. And it's been here for seven generations, but every single building is new. We have fishing hunting, and a charming view of the sunsets. The only problem are the pests. You see, most places have mice or mosquitoes. We have dragons. Okay, so if you've been listening to most of this Zoo Notable and having never read the book, have only seen the movies, you're probably a little confused by the first four big ideas. In the books, dragons are like hunting dogs or like war pets, so to speak. They are companions for the Vikings. But in the movies, dragons are pests. They are hunted and treated as such. But there is a mindset shift when Hiccup befriends a night fury. And the message about conservation is not lost on me in the movie story. Don't condemn something which you don't understand. It's not far off from, well, again, my thought went to orcas again. 
Before they were brought into human care, orcas were greatly feared. The military used them for target practice. Fishermen ruthlessly shot and killed them for, quote unquote, eating their catch. And the government didn't care if sonar or blasting or overfishing killed the species. Orcas were considered a nuisance. But then Namu, uh, again, a, a orca or killer whale named Namu was brought into human care. And the world saw how intelligent, friendly, and amazing they were. And that changed our tune. And I will admit, we did still exploit them. We captured too many and we separated orcas from their families for life. But the event also changed laws to protect the species, mainly because we fell in love with them. We came to understand them. Now, this is what happens when Hiccup befriends Toothless and then shows the Vikings the truth about dragons. He becomes great at fighting dragons, not because Hiccup is ruthless, but because he learns about the dragons and how to get them to behave how he wants them to. Now, other animals desperately need a Hiccup to show the world how amazing they really are. Sharks have a really bad reputation, but they're necessary in the ecosystem. Recently, I have fallen head over heels in love with Galapagos tortoises, who, if you don't know them, have a distinct personality and are just absolutely incredible and amazing. And I'll also admit I'm still trying to find ways to appreciate animals like spiders and other creepy crawlies, but I know they're important and I know that they're amazing in their own right. So what other animals need our help? And how can we learn more about them and turn fear or ignorance into love and compassion? So there you have it, how to train your dragon. We're celebrating the new lunar year of the dragon. I'm so excited for this year ahead. Again, um, have the year of the dragon inspiring how to train a dragon. I think I'm gonna have a few more quote unquote dragon themed books throughout this coming season. So keep a lookout for that. And if you're interested, you can find how to train your dragon series at your local library, or you can do what I highly recommend download what's called the Libby app. Uh, you can get free audiobooks from your library onto your iPhone and just listen to David Tennant narrate the story again. It's absolutely worth it. Totally do that. And if you like a copy of this book yourself, uh, consider joining ZooFit's Pride on Patreon. Each month I'll be giving away a copy of one of my Zoo Notable books. This month's prize is a copy of How to Train Your Dragon. You can also support ZooFit, you can get some bonus material and some sneak peeks at future projects and earn some great rewards. So you can join by clicking the link in this episode description. But I'm going to leave you all with my favorite quote from How to Train Your Dragon. This is from the movie. Stoic tells Hiccup, we need more of this around here. And then Hiccup says, you just gestured to all of me. All right, I'll catch you all next time. Until then, take care of yourself so you can help take care of the world. <laughs>